And thank you all for coming out tonight on this holiday weekend. It's great to see you. Appreciate the fact that you've come back to hear the word of God. Tonight, I'm going to be in Psalm 4. Trust you all received your handout. The Psalms provide us with a wonderful consideration of theology. Theology is a study of God, and theology is often entered into by a wooden consideration of the attributes of God. That's one of the major ways in which God is considered. It's begun by asking the question, who is God? It is answered by saying that God is just, good, holy, merciful, etc. Theology also focuses upon God's decrees. God's decrees are his determined purposes and actions. In Psalm 4, we have a practical study of theology. Practical in the sense that it takes a theological issue and presents its relevance for everyday life. So often, that's where people's study of theology kind of runs just flat, or the application of it is sometimes lost. This evening, we have a practical consideration of the doctrines of election and sanctification. God has set apart the godly for himself. So what does that mean in practical terms? How is my life affected by knowing that God has set me apart for himself? What response should that elicit from us? The key verse tonight is Psalm 4, verse 3. But know, be aware, be cognizant, be fully assured, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears what I call to him. This verse teaches us that the Lord has distinguished us from others, for it says that the Lord has set apart the godly, so we are distinguished, we are different from those who are the ungodly. The Lord has set us apart in order to belong to him and to fulfill his purposes, for it tells us in verse 3, but know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, for himself. So the idea of sanctification, the idea of being set apart, to be consecrated, hallowed, means to be devoted to a particular purpose or aim. And in this instance, it's God himself. So God has set us apart for himself. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So tonight's theme is, what are the responses that we should have to the truth that God has set us apart? Knowing that God has set us apart from self should produce in us these three things found in Psalm 4. First, confidence in prayer. Second, carefulness in living. And then third, contentedness in our circumstances. And I'm going to work our way through Psalm 4 to 
show how these are the fruits, if you will, of this knowledge that God has set us apart for himself. First, knowing that God set us apart for himself brings confidence in prayer. Since the Lord has set the godly for himself, the Lord hears when I pray to him. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Here's the main application. The Lord hears when I call to him. And the idea of hearing is that he answers, that he gives us help in time of need. The unspoken question is, how do I know that God will answer my prayers? The answer is because God has set apart the godly for himself. That's his purpose. That's his desire. He wants to hear and answer our prayers. So that leads us to the question, who are the godly? Do I qualify? Am I one of those that are set apart? And he hears my prayers. Well, the godly are those whom God has set apart. He has called and sanctified them. God has made them righteous and acceptable to himself. We see that verse 3 is built on a foundation that's laid starting in verse 1. The psalmist pleads with God to hear and answer his prayer. Verse 1, answer me when I call, O God. That's what he desires. David does not plead his own righteousness, but God's imputed righteousness as the basis for David's prayer being heard. For it tells us in verse 1, answer me when I call, and then he refers to God as the God of my righteousness. N-A-S, O God of my righteousness. King James, O God of my righteousness. Now why do I keep referring to that? For A, David is not simply ascribing righteousness to God. He's not talking about God's attribute. He's not saying, God, you are righteous. David is not saying that he's going to be heard because God is righteous. Certainly God is righteous. No question about that. But the verse does not read, verse 1, answer me when I call, O my righteous God. That's not what it says. It says, O God of my righteousness. Note the difference. Note the difference. David has confidence in prayer because David views himself as a possessor of God's own righteousness. He's talking about the fact that God has made him righteous. He's not coming on the basis of the fact that he deserves to be heard because of his own personal righteousness. It isn't because of his devotion. It isn't because of his committedness. It isn't because he is so faithfully served. It isn't because his life measures up and God will hear him. But rather, he's pleading God's righteousness. Hear me because you made me righteous. Because I have a righteous standing in your sight. Application. Thus David is saying that the reason that David is godly is because God has imputed righteousness to David by faith. The Lord has set him apart, therefore the Lord will hear. We can have confidence in prayer because God is going to hear not because of our own personal righteousness, because he has made us righteous through union with Christ. That is a source of great comfort, encouragement, and help. All of us, when we start going that realm of trying to be personally righteous and trying to earn God's favor, 
we're always going to be smitten by our conscience and feel unworthy and unqualified to have God hear and answer our prayers. The evil one is going to bring to mind our unfaithfulness, and it will create doubt. It will create uncertainty. But David is certain that he is going to be heard because God has made him righteous, because God has set him apart, because God has made him holy. Next, we are confident in prayer because God has answered our prayers in the past. Verse 1, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David had found himself in many predicaments. And here again, David is not just referring to the faithfulness of God in the abstract. David is referring to the faithfulness of God as David himself had experienced. Note the tenses which speak of that which took place in the past. You have given me relief when I was in distress. What God had done in the past was to cause David to become larger. It tells us in verse 1, you have given me relief when I was in distress. King James translates it, you have enlarged me when I was in distress. This word could mean that God had caused David to grow through his past experiences. In some way, uh, the most literal idea here is that growth has, has happened, that, that through this, David has been made larger. B, or it could mean that God enabled him to rise to the occasion. Okay? And uh, I put that in quote because it's almost, when you think of, of rising, I think of, of dough, yeast, and it rising, this aspect of, of, of David, David just coming above, okay? It's, it's like a, a sea monster rising out of the, the sea. Okay? David is able to overcome is the ultimate idea. See, whichever the case, David had learned from past experiences that he could rely upon God in times of personal need and inadequacy. David knew that in times of difficulty, times of hardship, and I would go on to say whether that was because of his own sinfulness and the consequences of his actions, or because innocently he was bearing the brunt of his enemies and those around about him. He had called out to God, and God had hurt him. And I believe we all tonight can give testimony to times in which God and his faithfulness has reached down and, and helped us as we have called upon him. Thirdly, we are confident in prayer because God has pity upon us, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. King James says, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Uh, this word is a difficult word to, to uh, really translate into English, it has the idea of covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. God has undertaken for me. And uh, both ideas are certainly true and present. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. While 
Grace and mercy are closely connected terms. They are not synonymous. Uh, that is, they are not identical. They're not interchangeable words. They are closely related, to be sure. Grace, as you know, is unmerited favor. It refers to the recipient having not earned or merited the favor that is bestowed. Thus, the person who bestows the grace is under no obligation to do so. However, it does not say anything about the condition of the recipient. Mercy is favor that is bestowed as a result of pity. The emphasis is upon the pitiful condition of the recipient of the mercy. Thus, the person who bestows the mercy is moved to do so because of the terrible plight of the person who is the recipient of mercy. Illustration. By now, if you have been worshiping with us for any period of time, you ought to know what I'm going to say next. How many people know the illustration that I'm going to use for the difference between grace and mercy? Raise your hand. All right, a few of you. That's why I do it time and time and time again. Eventually, you're going to remember this illustration. Okay, Difference between grace and mercy. If I have a $100 bill, is it starting to come back to you? Okay. If I have a $100 bill, in fact, if I have a fistful of $100 bills, I got a box full of $100 bills. And if I decide to just distribute, everyone here tonight, you came the right night, okay? This is like Oprah Winfrey. She, okay, you're all going to get $100 as you leave. It's play money, but no. So anyway, if I would give everyone $100 tonight, that would be grace. You wouldn't have earned it. You wouldn't have done anything for it. It's just a matter of my kindness, my goodness. Here you are. Here's $100. Okay? Regardless of whether you need it or not. Regardless if you are a billionaire or you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You've received grace. You didn't deserve it. Okay? Mercy... The emphasis is upon the pitiful condition of the individual. So I would be merciful if I looked out and knew that there were people here tonight that are really struggling, right? They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have a car payment they have to make. They're, they have some kind of trouble or difficulty. And so because of their trouble or difficulty, I hand them $100. That's mercy. They didn't deserve it either but it was motivated by pity. It was motivated out of a sense of their need and a concern to try to alleviate that difficulty in their life. Well, the reality is we receive both from God. We receive grace and we receive mercy. God has pity upon us. God loves to bestow his grace upon us because we are such a needy people and because he is merciful. So number two, because David has set, uh, excuse me, because God has set apart David for himself, David knows that God is going to be moved by the plight that David finds himself in, this distress, this this anguish that he already spoke of. Even when that plight is the result of David's own sinfulness, God has pity. There is a special pity that God has for his own. Psalm 103, verses 12 and 13, King James. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath removed our transgressions from us. 
Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. A father may be sensitive to the suffering of all. However, a father is intensely sensitive to the suffering of his own child. We have a special place in the heart of God. Because God has set us apart for himself. Because we belong to him, God has a very unique and precious concern and love for us. He pities us in all of our sorrow, in all of our heartache, in all of our misery. We can be assured that he will view us with pity. Next, we are confident in prayer because God has a purpose for our lives. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. God has a vested interest in answering our prayers because he has reasons for separating us to himself. This is especially true of prayers that are in keeping with his will. David has confidence that God will hear his prayers because of God's own namesake. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What God desires, what, what God wants to achieve, what God wants to bring to pass. So David realizes that God has a purpose in answering David's prayers that go far beyond the person of David. All too often, our prayers do not go beyond our own self-interest or selfish ambition. Nonetheless, God accomplishes work in this world through answering our prayers, but God has so much more in view as he comes to our aid than simply ourselves, and one of the primary things that he has in view is his honor and his glory. God is lifted up. God is seen to be powerful. God is seen to be loving. God is seen to be kind as he hears and answers our prayer. So application, our confidence in prayer does not flow from our relationship to God, but rather God's relationship to us. It is not our faithfulness to God, but his faithfulness to us. It is not about the righteousness which we have earned and deserved a hearing. It's about a righteousness that he provides and the mercy he shows in granting us a hearing. That, of course, is a truth that is taught throughout the scriptures. Uh, many of us know the verse, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may find a help in time of need. The throne of grace is the throne that we come to. Secondly, knowing that God has set us apart for himself brings carefulness in living. <clears throat> carefulness in living. Because God has set us apart for himself, we are to bring honor and glory to him in the way that we live our lives. All right? He has purpose that through us, his name will be exalted. And so God begins by rebuking David for dishonoring God. Verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And he asks, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? That which is to bring honor to God, namely his grace, mercy, and love, actually become dishonoring to him when God's people presume upon those attributes. All right? When we take advantage, when we abuse God's love and mercy and grace for us, it's actually a negative reflection upon God as opposed to a positive reflection. For 
two, God is viewed as weak and unjust when he blesses a sinful people. When obviously we are so totally undeserving, so totally unworthy, that people marvel that God would hear us. Many times God is not viewed as being merciful or gracious, but he's viewed as unjust or unfair. We can become a reproach. We can be a bad example for others who follow our example and rather live righteously, live unrighteously. In all these things, God is dishonored and reproached. So note the ways in which God is dishonored by his people. First, God is dishonored when our lives are lived without appropriate purpose. Verse 2, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? I like the way it's translated by the NAS. How long will you love what is worthless? How long are you going to love what's worthless? To love that which is worthless is to give ourselves to that which has little purpose or value. It's to waste time and effort, which results in a wasted life. It is to be aimless. It is to be without direction. It's to be without meaningful, meaningful purpose. Of course, a number of years ago, uh, Rick Warren wrote that great book, The Purpose Driven Life. Many may have read it. Now, that should really characterize the Christian, that we should always live with purpose. And the ultimate purpose is whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all the glory of God. That, that our primary focus in life is to live our lives to his glory. When we seek that is worthless, we fail to fulfill God's purpose for us. In context, it has to do with prayers. All too often our prayers are about our agendas, our desires, our pleasures. We pray that it won't raid on our parade. We beseech God that our party won't be spoiled or that our team will not lose the game or that we will hit a home run. James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, your passions. We pray without real meaning and purpose. We pray for good health, not so that we can better serve God or fulfill our responsibilities, but merely so that we feel good, that we don't have aches or pains. We pray for wealth, not so that we can give to the poor or further God's kingdom, but merely so that we can be at ease and enjoy life. So when there is no real aim, when there is no real purpose, God is dishonored. So think about our prayers. Think about the things that, that we are seeking from God. God is dishonored through a lack of struggle against sin. We are to have a hatred for sin, be angry and do not sin. Tremble and do not sin. Stand in awe. Okay? As you read these other translations, you have this sense of this accountability before God. And in that, in that accountability before God, there is to be a hatred for evil. God hates evil, and so should we. It's the, it's the exact opposite of loving evil. Right? We're to love which, that which is good. 
and we are to hate evil and that which is bad. Here the anger is to be directed against sin. We should hate sin and it should, be, it should anger us when we commit sin. This morning uh, in Sunday school, Eric did a great job of presenting the word to us and we heard of Nehemiah who was angered by the sin of the people. Well, sin should anger us. Again, because of its reproach against God and the harm that it does to his name and to his people. So God is dishonored through a lack of thoughtful response to God. Tells us in verse 4, ponder in your own hearts on your beds. King James, commune with your own heart upon your bed. NAS, meditate in your heart upon your bed. In times of being anxious, in the times of being unsettled. I imagine most of us know what it is to have sleepless nights or to lay awake and our our mind just starts having all kinds of thoughts, concerns, anxieties, worries, doubts, fears. And as we let our minds run wild, that's dishonoring to the Lord. Instead, we are to commune. We, we are to be in fellowship with God. We, we are to pray at those times, seeking his relief, seeking his help, reflecting upon what he has done in the past, reflecting on how foolish it is to worry over things of which we have no control, but a sovereign God has complete control over. We are to bring our thought life into subjection and submission to the word of God. So Philippians says, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are just, whatever things are holy, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on those things. Think on those things. Let that preoccupy our thoughts. And then come before God, knowing that he hears and answers our prayer because he has set us apart for himself. Because My godliness is not resting upon my life and what I've done that day, but it's because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, I can confess my sins. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. (laughs) Everything that would be of disapproval before God. We can have assurance is what this whole passage is about. And then God is dishonored when we say to God, uh, we fail to rely upon him solely. Verse 4, and be silent and be still. And we had a great uh, consideration of that last week with Pastor Herb, who taught us about being still before God, of not taking matters into our own hands, not trying to scheme or connive about getting ourselves out of a jam, but coming before God. Knowing that the Lord has set apart him who is godly for himself, knowing that the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Application. How little value we place on God's advice and counsel. We're to win the argument that rages inside us. We are to talk ourselves into doing what is right. Number three, 
Knowing that God has set us apart from self brings contentedness in my circumstances. This contentedness is epitomized by relying upon God's goodness and not our own. It is the ability to rejoice in God's favor rather than to be seeking God's favor. Specifically, it is to trust that we are acceptable to God. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. All right? In the Old Testament, sacrifices were, were to be brought when sins were committed. And David says in Psalm 51, out of his own sinfulness, and especially the, the sin that he committed with Bathsheba, he says, O oh Lord, you do not desire sacrifices, but a broken and contrite heart, that you will not despise. And then he says, then I will offer sacrifices of righteousness and praise. So we come not seeking to earn his favor, or we have his favor. He has set us apart from self. So we are not asking God for his acceptance and favor, but we come acknowledging and giving thanks that we have his acceptance and favor. I hope in your home, if you have children, that your children are assured of your acceptance. That they know that they're not going to be kicked out of your house because they were making a lot of noise last night. And that you're not going to disown them because they did something that made you look bad. But as a father pities a child, you have grace and mercy for them. And they can be assured that when they come to you, they are going to receive your help. You are not going to simply condemn and banish, but you're going to try to help and relieve. You want to transform them. You want to deliver them. This is the heart of the psalm. Put your trust in their Lord. See, there are a great many people who are totally dissatisfied with their lives and fail to see how God has been good to them. Verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? What a sad state of affairs. If we look at life as believers and question, where is God's goodness? How has God been good to me? How has God helped me? If we are so inward focused and so insensitive to his grace and mercy that we fail to recognize that, that God has been good to me in many ways. It's the old song, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Reflect on his goodness to you. Don't be blinded by the hardships and difficulties of life that you fail to see how God has come to your aid, how, how God has shown his, his care and his goodness 
to you, what you have learned from the scriptures, how you have been comforted as you lied upon your bed. All that he has done in the past. See, what we need to see is God's smiling down upon us. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This phrase, lift up the light of your face, uh, comes out of you know, the ultimate benediction that's given to us in the word of God uh, that says, uh, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee. May the Lord be gracious unto me. That word to shine, to give forth light, etc., in the Hebrew is, is literally to smile upon. That, that God is smiling as he looks down upon us. Have you ever seen a portrait of Jesus in which he's smiling? That's not usually the way we view Jesus. We view Jesus as austere. We view Jesus as, as solemn. We view Jesus looking upon us sternly. The scripture encourages us to see a smiling face. I love the hymn that talks about Behind a frowning providence, there is a smiling face. That when things look bad, know that God loves you, cares for you, intervenes for you, hears and answers your prayer. God is smiling down upon you. God is pleased with you. Why? Because he set us apart for himself. Because he has given us his righteousness. <laughs> because we belong to him. D, knowing that God has set us apart for himself as a source of greater joy than any material prosperity or physical pleasure could ever be. Verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than when they have, when their grain and their wine abound. David says, I have more joy in my heart than the world does when their grain and, and their wine abound. They are pleased. They, they are happy when they have plenty to eat and they have plenty to drink. They feel like life is great. They feel like nothing bad can ever happen to them. But they can lose riches in a moment. Our possessions can go up in a smoke. It is an unrealistic confidence that we have in our bank accounts. And sometimes people eventually feel secure if they have enough monies put aside. But you can lose those monies overnight. They can be stolen. You know, the stock market can crash. Man, you think of the Great Depression. People who were rich all of a sudden became paupers. All of a sudden, we realize 
that we have a greater reason for confidence, hope, than anyone else. Because our confidence and our hope is in a God who has set us apart for himself. The Lord will hear when we call unto him. So I don't have to worry about all of the things that could happen. All the things over which I have absolutely no control. Because there is one who has control over them. And I belong to him. And he will hear me. He will have pity upon me. He will show me grace. He will deliver me. He will help me. He, knowing that God has set us apart, brings a quiet confidence to life. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. The progression of the psalm, moving from lying awake in the middle of the night with anxiety and fear and communing with God, praying and trying to direct our thoughts to how he has helped me in the past, notice the outcome. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. I will have rest. And I'll actually be able to close my eyes and sleep. Why? End of verse 8. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. My only confidence is in you. My only trust is in you. Only you, Lord, can make me safe. And you have promised to watch over me and care for me. For you have made me your own. You will hear when I call. So conclusion, knowing that God has set me apart from self brings confidence in prayer. Knowing that God has set us apart for himself brings carefulness in living. We want to bring honor and glory to him. And knowing that God has set us apart from self brings contentedness in my circumstances. I can be at peace for I belong to him and he will help me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the great promise that you hear us, that, that you come to our aid, that we belong to you. Lord, help us to understand fully, completely that our relationship to you is based solely upon the work of Jesus Christ and we are accepted in him. May we be so rooted and grounded in that truth that we have confidence as we come before you. He is our standing. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, for he is our access to you. Thank you that you have made us your children. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. Lord, because Jesus is our Savior, we belong to you. 
Because we belong to you, you are our God, and we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the great shepherd. You lead us, you provide for us, you keep us. Because we belong to you. Oh Lord, help us to take our eyes off of our present condition and focus upon the God who is control of that condition. Lord, cause us to cry out to you in confidence, knowing that you will hear us, knowing you will have pity upon us, knowing that you will show us grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.